guest played 124 games for the red and white a total of 222 afl games a life member of the swans 2012 premiership player forget about mal's goal uh, towards the end of the fourth quarter it was all about that tackle uh, he's currently the senior coach for sturt in the sa nfl it's a big hello and welcome to martin matner thanks Joe. thanks for having me on can i call you marty or is it martin no, nah, Marty's fine. Mum, Mum's normally the only one that calls me Martin. <laughs> if you're in trouble, I'd imagine. Yeah, when I'm in trouble, yes. <laughs> now, look, uh, as we record, if I'm to do a shrink of uh, footy journalism here, uh, we just got the news David Teague has been boned at Carlton. Um, yes. Have you interviewed for Carlton or Collywood by chance? No, I haven't been asked, which is, uh, which oh, I don't know is disappointing or not, but uh, no. Nah. <laughs> haven't been uh, asked to um, go for any of those jobs, so yeah. All right, so we can scratch Marty Matner off uh, for a coaching gig for at least, at least for, uh, I guess, 2022. 20, uh, but I mean, currently coaching Sturt in the uh, SA NFL. Um, you're a former premiership coach with them, 2016-2017, uh, even played in one back in 2002, I believe. But yeah. how's the current season looking? I had a quick look at the table. Are we just outside the eight? Yeah, so we uh, we play was it, ten teams play top five. So we are sixth currently uh, with a we are two yeah two games to go. Uh, if we win this week, we will be in the finals. Um, so we should go above. Uh, I think it's the fifth place team, and then there's one game to go. So a little bit of the old destinies in our in our hands at the moment whereas if we win our last couple of games we should play finals footy which is pretty exciting for our young group absolutely and uh, are you on board to be coaching Sturt next year or that's i guess that's kind of uh, a little bit later on down the track no no I signed so when after leaving Adelaide um, in my little coaching stint there um, I signed for two years so yeah 2021 and 22 so yeah just looking forward to i guess um, seeing where this year still takes us. Um, but, yeah, definitely looking forward to next year as well. We've got a pretty exciting young group of players um, with a lot of players sort of that, you know, 21, 22-year-olds who are looking to build something for a, hopefully a long period of time. You, you touched on it there. You're an assistant coach at Adelaide uh, for a, a little bit there. Um, I guess they, the AFL as a whole and a lot of other clubs, they had staff cuts due to COVID, the, the situation we currently find ourselves in. But you wrapped up uh, early in 2020. I guess, um, li listen to a previous interview, I, I think the quote was, lost a little bit of love for football. I guess when parting company with the Crows, was it, not thought it was like sour terms, but is was there a bit of a soreness in uh, that uh, parting of company? Uh, I wouldn't say a soreness. I think it was just more a, a different views on on football and the way things operate. And they were going down a different path with a new coach. Um, you know, I guess Don Pike was the coach that got me to the club, um, and then Matthew Nix come in and. Um, 
yeah, and then COVID hit, and so I guess that decision. And there was all there's all other factors about it in regards to you know salary cap and soft cap in football departments and all those sorts of things. So, um, yeah, there was just and there was just a different views, I guess, within the way the footy clubs operate and, and um, you know higher up and boards and all that sort of things. And I just didn't. Uh, agree with some of the things that were going on and and when they asked about you know did I want to keep coaching or was I you know happy to I guess walk away when COVID hit um it, it was it was a hard decision but then it wasn't in the end and um and then I guess part of that was you know losing a love of coaching and footy and those sorts of things and um and then I guess having those nine months off was a really great thing for me in terms of my coaching I, I sort of got that love back and passion back and helped out a couple of players that I had coached at Sturt, um, who are now playing country footy. Um, so I was able to sort of get away from footy and, you know, get back to sort of the grassroots and, and really loved it and enjoyed it. And, and then the Sturt job came up and I was, you know, lucky enough to, I guess, get that job. I guess is it um, safe to say that you kind of weren't in Matthew Nix's plans as a as an assistant coach? I mean, I'm not trying to put words in mouths or anything. Um, I know, like, a lot of other industries are – were always looking to downsize and I guess cut costs where they could. And I think COVID was very convenient for a lot of industries because they could kind of make those cuts and blame it on COVID. Not saying that's necessarily the uh, the case with any of the AFL clubs, but I guess if you, I guess you as a player, as a coach, would have seen if there was, if there was value, if Matthew Nix or the co saw value in you, they would have wanted to keep you there. Yeah, it was, it was a, I guess it was a little bit of an interesting conversation with the club. So I'd signed, like I said, with Don Pike for two years. And then Don, after the first year, left. Um, and then I guess um, when COVID hit, there was a discussion about, you know, the football spend and soft cap and all those sorts of things. And I guess the club came to me with two options. They said, we can either, they weren't going to renew my contract after the end of the 2020. And they said, well, you can either keep coaching out you know, your current season. and But we didn't really know at that stage what it was going to look like, whether mm. it was going to be footy, whether it was going to be a season, modified, you know, travel away, hubs, all that sort of stuff. Um, or I could sort of just finish up straight away. And as I said before, it was to the point where um, I think there was, you know, two different paths. The club club was going down a path that, you know, as I said, wasn't really, um, you know, I guess a, a fan of or, or part of, wanted to be part of. And um, as I said, it was a tough decision, but in the end it was, a, it was quite an easy one. And, um, yeah, moved on pretty quickly from that and um, now back at Sturt, which, like I said, is, has been a, a blessing uh, to coach Sturt prior and then now, I guess, get the opportunity to do it again. Not many people get that, so I'm pretty privileged to be able to do it again. And you mentioned Don Pike there. Obviously, you said he got you to Adelaide there. Uh, obviously, only a season with Don Pike as head coach of the Crows and uh, he was let go. But are you surprised to hear how, I guess, he's kind of rejuvenated his coaching career as an assistant at the Swans? Uh, no, not really. He's a, he was a very good coach. I, you know, I like the way he coached. Um, you know, not, a, not all coaches see the same way, but um, which is a healthy relationship. But, yeah, I, I like Don. I like the way he coached. Um, you know, like I said, he was the one that got me to Adelaide and, I enjoyed our 12 months together. Um, yeah, but it sounds like, you know, chatting with a few of the old Sydney boys and Jared McVeigh and a couple of other coaches, uh, he's doing really good things up there and and, and I guess he's enjoying it as well. Um, I was, we were lucky enough to get up, I think, to Sydney in June or July, I think it was, for the for a game and um, take our kids and, and my wife. We went out for a little holiday there, so it was quite good to get back there. So, yeah, I was lucky enough to catch up with Don and a few other coaches and players. And, yeah, it sounds like things are going pretty well for them. 
obviously you grew up in um, South Australia. Aussie rules football. Uh, it's obviously that's that's the main code there. Unlike New South Wales, it has you know rugby league and whatnot. Um, but a former Swans player, um, when his time finished at the Swans, he went to Adelaide for a bit of time there and. Kind of interesting, uh, Ryan O'Keefe, he said that um, that he kind of felt that the Adelaide Crows or the I guess the vibe around the town was that they're kind of a little bit stuck in the 90s, kind of living off uh, former glory. Would you agree with that? Yeah, no, it, um, I, I agree with that. That's a pretty good analogy of how it is. It's, um, you know, I guess they won their premierships in the 90s. They were a pretty successful team in that period. Um so they, yeah, they still hang their hats on those two premierships, um, but it is it's a footy town, and that's that's the thing about it. It's you know you got Port and the Crows, and um, you know there's not really much else going on this time of year in terms of footy. It's footy, 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 um, which can be a great thing if you enjoy footy, um, but it's hard to get away from it because even you know going down to the local coffee shop or shopping mall, you still get asked about footy, even even at the sample level at Sturt. You know, you know, still quite a high profile within you know the footy industry in Adelaide. Um, so it does in you know it does I guess um, encompass a lot of things. And you know everywhere you go, there's footy, um, and especially this time of year with finals coming up. Um, but yeah, it is sort of a two team town, and you sort of you know the the talk around a Monday is how did your team go and did they win and did they how many tips did you get and all that sort of stuff. So it's um, like I said, it can be great, but some people will find it a bit overwhelming. Now, you supported the Crows as a kid. Did you get to go to the 97 or 98 grand final? Yeah, I was lucky enough to go to both. Um, you know, we were members as kids in the family and loved my footy back then. And, yeah, we used to go to nearly every game that we could go to but if, if it didn't sort of clash with footy. Um, and then, yeah, I was lucky enough to get to the couple of grand finals and both prelims as well. So, um, yeah, it was, a, it was a great, I guess, time as a kid. I think I was about 14 or 15 at that stage. So it was sort of that period where I was really you know wanted to be a footballer and I play AFL and I was you know pretty excited and, and loved going to the footy games and watching back then. And we fast forward a few years to 2002 you're you picked up in the the rookie draft uh, from what I've scaled online I think it was round four pick 51 does that sound correct? Yeah that's about right so one of the last <laughs> picks in the rookie draft um, yeah so I missed out on a couple of drafts prior so I was eligible for the 2000 draft or 2001 and then missed out on those and um, I guess went back to Sturt. So I was playing at Sturt at that stage. Um, so I was pretty lucky. I went back there and started playing some league footy, which was you know, a good thing in terms of my development. Um, and then, yeah, was lucky enough to get um, drafted by the Crows um, after playing some league footy. And then, yeah, it was a last, one of the last picks in the rookie draft. So, um, But I'll, did, that doesn't really matter, I guess, at the time. I was just pretty excited to get picked up and... Um, and then, you know, start my AFL career. Would you say it's a positive or a negative uh, playing for a team that you support? I mean, you've got the likes of Mark Rusciuto, Andy McLeod, uh, Nigel Smart, I mean, just Hart. I mean, just such big names, like you said, and it's such a big vibe around the town. Was that daunting? And I guess, like, in retrospect, looking back, do you, I mean, you, you're happy that you played with Adelaide? I mean, you played about 97, 98 games there before going to the Swans. But did it kind of change? I mean, as a kid, I can only say as a supporter, like obviously absolutely love the Swans. But I guess when you're in the inner sanctum, I guess, uh, does that sort of change? Or how did, how did, I guess, was that transition from young player, young supporter to AFL player? Uh, well, I think it was an easy one. Like I, I just wanted to play footy and play AFL. And so I guess at the time I was just, 
I loved being at the club. It was a great, you know, we're pretty successful, um, you know, sort of like maybe not the first year or two, like 2002 and 2003, but I think it was in four, five and six, we played finals and played in, you know, some prelims, um, lost both the West Coast and, um, yeah, I, I enjoyed it. I loved it. It was a good experience. It was a good, you know, um, I guess way into the into the AFL world. And um, but then I guess uh, not until you sort of go to another club do you see the, you know, is it the old question? Is it green on the other side and all those sorts of things? And is it a better thing for you? And um, I guess at the time I thought Adelaide was the best fit for me. Um, but now after being in Sydney, um, I think that the whole club and you know the Swans culture and all those sort of things was just it just ended up being a better fit for me. Um, I'm not saying that Adelaide wasn't a great fit for me. It was just a better fit for me at Sydney. And I guess I was just able to get the best out of myself um, at the Swans. And, and again, like I said, I was lucky enough to then win a premiership there. I believe uh, you debut uh, around 14, 2002 against the Pies. Uh, any memories of uh, your first game? No, not really. Or other than I sat on the bench for the first half, <laughs> which, which is one of those crazy things. There was no sub rule back then, but I still sat on the bench for the first half. I was pretty nervous pre-game. Um, yeah, I guess it was a bit of a whirlwind. Um, I sort of was on the rookie list, and back in those days, you couldn't play on the rookie list, so you had to wait for an injury or um, something to happen to get promoted or someone retire. And uh, basically, prior two weeks prior to that, I was playing at Sturt in the sample, and then got promoted, travelled to Perth as an emergency, didn't play, and then played the next week. Um, so, yeah, it was a real sort of whirlwind, I guess, um, you know, a couple of weeks. Yeah, like I said, went from not being out of play as a rookie to promoted to then emergency to then play and sitting on the bench for the first half. But, yeah, just really enjoyed it, loved it. Um, I sort of remember making a couple of tackles, getting a couple of touches, but that was about it in my first game. Any uh, words of wisdoms from uh, Gary Ayers? Well, if he's the uh, head coach at this uh, point in time, uh, no, not really. It was, I, I guess, and and back at the time, that was probably the best thing for me. It was sort of just, you know, I think just let me play, and that was. I, I really appreciated that. Looking back now, it was probably the best thing for me was just to sort of just let me play and and enjoy it. And um, yeah, something I look back at now, and and I keep saying to you know now that I'm a coach, I sort of keep going to my players just enjoy it, have a bit of fun, and. Try not to overwhelm them with too much, you know, information and that sort of stuff and, and just try and let them enjoy it and, and hopefully you get a win and they can remember their first game. What about uh, 2003? Uh, interesting time at the Crows. Uh, Wayne Carey uh, becomes a Crow after um, some controversy after finishing up at North Melbourne. I guess did you um, have any initial interactions with, uh, with, with Duck? Yeah, he was a... He was an interesting man. He had this persona, I guess, that you just you were just drawn to him. He was, you know, pretty intelligent guy in terms of footy. Like he, um, I remember, you know, just listening to him, having some conversations to the forwards, especially about you know certain things, and which being at that stage, I was sort of like a wing defender, so I was sort of looking and 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 sort of taking in what he was saying, but sort of on the opposite side of the things of looking at what he tried to get out of his game and teaching the forwards that I was sort of. As a defender, you sort of sit and listen. And at the time, you sort of think, oh, you know, you don't really think much about it. But as you get older and you start to, you know, coach and you start to look at the game differently, then I started to go back to those, you know, moments and conversations that he would have and started to remember things that he was teaching the forwards. And so it was, for me, looking back, it was actually quite a good learning experience for me to, and to be around such a great player like he's, you know, he's, 
he's you know, he was a great guy in the gym. He worked really hard in the gym, and you know he was a really and I guess that's why he was such a good player. His professionalism you know, on and off the field is something you sort of looked at as well. So, but at that time, Adelaide, you know, they had a really good core group. You know, Tyson Edwards, um, McLeod, Rashudo. Um, you know, they had some really good players who were really professional and, and really good footballers. And it was, like I said, it was a great experience for me to learn off those guys. Was it, we'll sort of get uh, into it more with the Swans, but was it sort of put to the playing group, hey, we're looking at bringing in Wayne Carey, or was it basically like a more of a coaching board level type of thing? Uh, well, yeah, I guess from, I, I don't know the senior players. I guess at that stage I was, you know, I played, I think, seven or eight games. So I think they're asking me if I wanted to get Wayne Carey to the club. Because I'd have been, yeah, getting, but um, I guess it was probably more, I guess, a coaching board, maybe, you know, the senior leadership group, that type of thing. Um, but as I said, he was, you know, he was a really good, I guess, sounding board for our forwards. And I learned a lot of him. I remember like Ian Perry and Kenny McGregor and a few of the younger forwards, Scott Welsh and these guys, they really enjoyed him being at the club and being able to learn off him. So... As a whole, it was, you know, it was probably a good thing for the club because he was another, you know, sort of like coaching figure. And um, I guess, yeah, everyone, everyone when he played, you also talk, walked a bit taller and you felt, you know, invincible, I guess. It's, you know, one of those things as a playing group when you have your best players playing or the best players playing. You do have a different feel about yourself when you're playing. You might be able to put this rumour to bed. I heard um, this was just for a family friend who was kind of connected football-wise, and he said that um, when he first rocked up to Adelaide, a few players were kind of uh, not shocked but sort of had to do a take two. Apparently, he'd put on a bit of weight. Um, Jeez, oh, I can't remember. I, I don't know. You know, I don't really remember. All I remember is when he was trained, he was a very good trainer. So, um, yeah, I can't remember that. It's, it's been a while. It was past <laughs> since then. But, yeah, no, he, he was always like – he seemed to be pretty fit. He came in and fitted in really, played some really good games. So, yeah, so can't, can't, I can't deny or uh, confirm that rumour. Sorry about that one. No, it's all good. Um, two coaches, Gary Ayres and Neil Craig. I guess from an Adelaide perspective, who got the most out of you? Well, Gary Ayres was a very short-lived um, – yeah. I think it was, you know, 12 months um, – and then, so I guess Neil Craig came in. He was, uh, he was, I guess, different from a lot of coaches that I had coached. I guess at that stage, I hadn't played much senior footy. Like, I played probably three years of senior footy. And so, um, and I guess my uh, interaction with a lot of senior coaches then was, it was sort of like, you know, the high, how you going? There wasn't really much relationships back then. Um, and I guess Neil Craig came in and he sort of changed that a little bit in terms of, he was, you know, he'd come from professional backgrounds in terms of cycling and high-performance stuff. And so his, you know, his relationships with the players were, were pretty good. And he also, you know, started to interact a lot with the whole playing group. Um, and I guess, and then, you know, the footy side of things started to take off. And, you know, he was all about fitness and preparation and, um, you know, the elite standards and that sort of stuff. So that was probably the biggest thing I learned from, you know, Neil was the, the Craigie was the, the professionalism and high standards and, you know, he probably got the best out of me in terms of my physical fitness and those things, which um, put me in good stead, I guess, for the rest of my career. May not have played too many games under him, but uh, any sprays or any rememberable things from Gary Ayres or Neil Craig? Uh, yeah, but I mean, all coaches. I mean, even a couple at Sydney and, you know, that I was involved in junior footy. You know, we all, we all, we all do it. I say that now, we as well, me as a coach, every now and then I still give that boys one. But... Disturbed boys, but you know, it's just part of coaching, and I guess it's the way it's evolved now. It's, um, you know, 
I guess back in the day, it was probably a bit more personal as in like, you know, individuals. Now it's more about the team and the group and stuff. So, um, yeah, that's probably the, the major difference I reckon nowadays is it's a lot more, well, me personally, I think I get pretty angry at the group now in terms of the way we play. Uh, it's hard to get, I guess, individual and, and be very public about that now, whereas I reckon back in the old days, that was sort of the way it done was, you know, very individual, very public. Um, you know, I remember sitting in a few meetings and, you know, players copying it individually, which, you know, was that the right thing? I don't know. But again, that's just what that coach thought was the best thing to get out of the best players individually. And it might have worked. Um, but nowadays, I think it's sort of changed a little bit. And um, it is hard to try and do those things and get the best out of the players. So, yeah, you sort of got to change and evolve, I guess. Straight into the Sydney Swans at the end of 2007. Um, you still had a year on your contract with the Crows. Um, you weren't initially keen on a move to the Harbour City. No, you've done your research. I like this. Um, yeah, so I guess at the time I I didn't play in the 2007 final uh, for the Crows. And so I sort of uh, – but I felt like I was sort of in the best 22. Like I felt like I was good enough to be in that side. And I was pretty disappointed not to make that team. I guess my form had fluctuated a little bit um, at the end of the season and and then I guess at the end, I started a year to go and um, I was, you know, had my exit meetings with the club and, and the coaches and was sort of like, yeah, what do I need to work on to get back into the best 22 and what do I need to do on off-season? So those were all discussions. And uh, at the time, my manager rang me and said, oh, um, you know, with Sydney are interested, they'd love to speak to you. And I said, oh, not really, you know, going to go into that too much. And um, he said, and then I had a bit of time to think about it. And then he rang me and he said, well, they're really keen. They really want to speak to you. And I said, okay, well, I'm happy to have a conversation. And he said, and then, so we chatted a bit more and he sort of said, well, you've got nothing to lose. Um, and I said, okay, well, yeah, I've got nothing to lose. So let's go. So uh, I remember, you know, they organized the flight and that. So I went to Sydney, uh, went to, got picked up from the airport, went to the Oval, had a look around, met the coaches, um, had a chat to them about footy and, um, I guess probably as soon as I'd sort of met Ruzi and um, we had a chat about footy and what he thought, you know, I could bring to the club. And um, it's one of those things, I guess, getting on the plane, I was like not going to City, but getting, you know, going back to Adelaide, I was like, I'm, I'm there, I'm done, I'm signing at Sydney. Do you know what I mean? It was one of those things like, I guess I went with a pretty, you know, negative thought at the start, like I was not going and then, you know, I guess chatting to Ruzi and then going catching up with a few players and and seeing the city and those sorts of things. Um, you know, it was a it was a big turning point for me. And then I guess from that point, I then had a few days to think about it um, because I reckon I'm caught up with them on like a Thursday or Friday from memory. And I reckon on the Monday was the trade period, um, and I actually also then flew out to catch up with a mate. I was going to London to catch up with a mate on the Monday as well of the start of trade period. So. It all sort of had to happen over the weekend. So I sort of had this really short, you know, about a week or so to make a decision about what I wanted to do and where I wanted to go. But like I said, getting on the plane, I was sort of like, no, but then heading back to Adelaide, I was like, yeah, this could be something great for me. And ended up being, you know, like I said, they offered three years um, and I thought, well, worst case scenario is I'll, I'll play out my three years. And I think at that stage, I would have ended up being about 27 or 28. Um, so I thought, well, you know, that's a pretty good career. I'll, hopefully get a hundred games and um, but if not then I could you know keep going on for a few more years and um, see what would happen and and make a good you know good drive you know hopefully 
seven, eight years out of it, um, which, again, like I said, I was lucky enough to do. And um, as I said, it was the best move for me. Was there was it the three the three year deal? We like oh, got to take that because I'm not really sort of getting much from uh, from Adelaide in regards to getting back into the top twenty two. Or was there something that Ruzi said or someone there kind of it was like a something that it's like yeah, this is definitely it. Or was this an overall just seeing everything in action? Uh, it was a, I guess it was a combination of everything. It was um, you know my manager spoke to Adelaide about maybe getting another year on my one year that I had left, um, and they sort of didn't want to move on that. Um, also, there was at that time in Adelaide, there was a lot of um, there was a lot of like sort of late twenty year olds, like twenty five to twenty eight year olds, that sort of been around the club for a few years that were sort of getting let go and being delisted. Um, you know, there was quite a quite a large group of guys in that sort of mold, and I was sort of heading into that, and I was sort of like, and then I guess when you get offered three years versus one, with you know the guarantee of like I said extending your career by three years and having an opportunity to sort of you know, get into a team, work your way into a team and then build something over a period of time, I guess. And then and then just the whole, you know, meeting the coaches, Paul Roos, the players. And like I said, I just felt like it was a good fit for me in terms of, you know, both on and off the field playing. Like I said, Roos, he was, you know, when I met with him and he was like, this is what we want you to do. We're going to, you're going to play this role and this is how it's going to look. And, you know, there's Malcheski and Ty Canelli and yourself and, we see you sort of doing this, this, and this. And I was sort of like, yes, okay, you know, you've, you've sold it. And I was sort of like, you know, it's one of those things, um, you know, he sort of, and, it, and I guess at the time that was, I guess that was what something I really wanted was just, you know, that role and and um, his ability to sort of get the best out of individuals. And and I think that was what Ruzi was really good at. And he sold it to me and, and I, you know, but I also, I guess, I, that's what I needed for myself. I needed to embrace that. And I guess at Adelaide, that didn't quite have that exact direction about what I wanted to do. And, and you know, I remember Ruzi saying, mate, you've got this, you know, these are your strengths, this, this, and this, and this is how we want you to play. And, you know, it just really resonated with me and I really, you know, really wanted to be part of it. So it's safe to say the uh, the first initial meeting with Paul Ruse went uh, pretty well. I guess when you're uh, signed, sealed, delivered and become a swan, uh, did Paul Ruse pick you up at the airport? Uh, I can't remember, actually. I don't remember who picked me up. No, it was actually a couple of the players. So when I first got to Sydney, um, as the swans do, they have that sort of housing program where they have a first, a second and a third year player sort of living together in, in houses and it was actually quite interesting because at that stage, I think it was Jared Moore, Daniel O'Keefe picked me up from the airport and we went to the house, which was owned by Ryan O'Keefe. So <laughs> the boys were renting one of his houses that he owned in Sydney. So, um, so yeah, so I lived there for about a month um, before my partner moved over and, and then I was able to organise. We, we looked at houses and found a place and, um, yeah, so it was good for me. I was able to sort of, I guess, settle in, meet some of the playing group and, and spend some time with them. And then she came over about a month later and we found a place in Randwick and, and lived there for our first 18 months in Sydney. Uh, how was Ryan O'Keefe? As, um, like, would he come in and do house inspections or...? No, no, we didn't really get to see him, but he always came around every now and then to make sure we hadn't burnt anything or wrecked anything. So, um, no, it was it was great, and like I said, it was it was a really good. Um, you know, we lived in East Lakes, and there was two other houses within about five hundred meters that a few of the other boys lived at. And it was it was like I said, that first month for me was great. I was able to get in there, live with some other players, then meet some other players that lived around the corner. And, um, you know, we used to go around for dinners at other places and you know catch up with the boys and. 
Um, and I guess that was where that relationship really early on was really good for me because, you know, again, moving in state, not really knowing too many people in Sydney, but spending so much time with that playing group. And, 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 it, and again, a lot of the players were from Victoria, SA, Queensland and, you know, Western Australia. So we were all in the same boat. So I remember a few times, you know, we someone would organise a dinner or something, you'd go out and there'd be 20 blokes at dinner. And it was just... <laughs> That was just how the club operated, and 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 again, like I said, it was you know it was that was part of the culture. You know, I remember going to a twenty first, and there was thirty something players there at the twenty first. It was just that was just the club and the way it was. I think I was speaking to Teddy Richards at one. Might have been back in like twenty thirteen. He said that it's kind of like a second family because, like you said, a lot of kids have come from interstate. Um, and I guess he was using his experience living in Melbourne where, because if you were from Melbourne, you'd just sort of meet up with your own friends or your own whatever. But being interstate, I guess, away from your original home, you kind of develop more of a bond. Is that sort of correct in saying, no, I guess you come from Adelaide would have been a similar story? Yeah, definitely. Uh, I remember my times at, you know, at, um, at Adelaide, like, you know, you'd go out on weekends and I'd catch up with sometimes my mates from school or, you would go, you know, I had still mates at Sturt, so you'd go and maybe catch up with them and then you had your crews, guys, well, whereas in Sydney it was sort of like they were your teammates, they were your best mates, they were your family. Like, you know, I remember, you know, Nick Mauchesky, like we used to go when I first got there, we'd go around for dinner and there'd be six to eight blokes there for dinner and it'd be like, you know, catching up with your family and best mates and your teammates. So, yeah, it's just a different, I guess, culture and environment and like I said, I, I really enjoyed it and it was getting to know those guys early on was was great and yeah it's just it's hard to explain but it's just something that you know when when you speak to I guess as a Sydney player we we talk we don't we talk about it much because it was just what it was everyone was from interstate I think at that stage when I got there there was something like nine players from New South Wales or Sydney so you know with a list of 45 46 35 of them are in the same boat as you are and you know, either didn't have family or friends or whatever there. So, like I said, we all we'd catch up, and that was that was sort of your family and your friends and your teammates and everything. It was just like I said, it's, it's hard to explain, but um, that was sort of how it was. Especially around this era, I guess when a player was linked to coming to the Swans from another club, it kind of went through the playing group or at least the leadership group first, and then I guess Paul Ruse and Co would would make a decision. I think the quote is the no dickhead policy. So I guess did that make the transition easier, knowing that you would have had to been accepted by at least some of the playing group before even um, coming out to train? Yeah, and that was part of the I guess my decision to go there was I remember catching up with the coaching group and then. Oh, they said we're going to take you to lunch, and so the coaches, I think it was Ruzi and one of the welfare managers, I think, drove me down to Coogee, and they dropped me off. And I said, "Aren't you guys coming?" They said, "No, no, we're going to catch up with a few of the players." And there was, I remember there was like Jude Bolton, Craig Bolton, um, and a few others, and Ty Kelly, and a few others. And we met up at Coogee, and um, and it was just, it was, I guess, I found that quite interesting to see that the coaches then, I guess, gave the opportunity for me to meet the players and see if I was comfortable and fitted in and I guess vice versa for them, if they thought that I would fit into their, you know, culture and club as well. And um, yeah. And I guess that was, that was part of the decision-making process from both my point and their point as well, that they wanted to be comfortable and, and, and be part of it as well. So, which I think, you know, something that I look back now and now as a coach, I do, you know, I try to do that with my playing group as well. And my leadership group is chat to them when we're talking to different players and recruiting and, and stuff and so um yeah a lot of things that i've i guess learned over my footy career at the time you don't really take much notice of it but now looking back a lot of the things that 
I learned over my time playing footy, both at Adelaide and Sydney, I'm now starting to implement in life and footy. Was there anyone that I guess you, uh, out of the playing group that you met first that you really bonded and connected with? Um, I guess sort of, uh, again, helped with that transition. I mean, because we hear so much about the Bloods culture and you're an outsider coming into this. Is there someone that kind of takes you under their wing, so to speak, or it's just this is the standard? Uh, wasn't it? I guess it wasn't anyone individual. Um, you know, like I said, it was probably more that defensive group that I sort of like because that was where I was playing my footy. And, um, you know, like I said, we, Nick Malachewski was probably one that I, you know, he was living around the corner from where I was first started staying. And then when we moved, it wasn't far either. Um, Heath Grundy was another one. Like he was a, a Sydney boy, uh, sorry, an Adelaide boy who you know, moved to Sydney as well. So we had a common goal there, I guess, or common you know, theme talking about everyone bagging Adelaide. So we would get cop that every time we'd get on the plane and go to Adelaide, everyone was bagging our Adelaide was 20 years behind, all those sort of things. So we'd <laughs> laugh and joke about those. Um, and like I said, yeah, it was Craig Bolton, Nick Smith, um, Teddy Richards. So that whole, you know, I said that back line were, I guess, really important for me because they made me feel welcome. But also, too, I learned so much off all of them. And, you know, just, again, it was another, like, little family within the big family. Um, you know, it was sort of like... You know, we'd sort of have our meetings and catch up and then, you know, game day, you'd sort of, you know, they were the blokes you'd stand around and, you know, chat to. And, yeah, it was just, it was just like I said, it was a great fit for me and I, I really you know, enjoyed, I guess, building those families and relationships within that group as well. And, um, yeah, still catch up, you know, when we went back to Sydney, still caught up with a few of them and try and, you know, catch up with them when I can. Uh, as we said from the at the top, a lot of coaching speculation, especially in Victoria at the moment. Um, I'm biased, but I guess one of the best coaching moves has been Paul Ruse and the transition to uh, John Longmire Horse. I guess putting on your you're a coach now, put on your coaching cap. You know, if you were thinking of a transition or looking at a transition, do you think uh, history has shown that's been a pretty good uh, a pretty good move? And I guess. As a player, um, obviously, Paul Ruse is the first one that you sort of meet and um, says, this is the role that I can see you playing and then changing over to horse. How was that? Yeah, it was pretty seamless, I guess. Um, you know, I think when I get there, 2000 and end of seven, so 2008, and I don't think horse were in 2010, I think it was. So we had eight, nine, ten with Ruse. So... Um, and but Horse was there at the time, so he was, you know, he was an assistant coach, and you know, he had pretty good relationships with the whole playing group. And I think there's, you know, there's a few different elements that have to go within that transition, I guess. But um, you know, you have to have both coaches, you know, willing to, I guess, one give up something, and then the other wanting to take on the role. And you know, so I think there's that part of it. Then there's the timing as well. How long is that process? Is it twelve months, two years? Um, and I think, you know, Sydney probably, again, not lucky, but everything seemed to fall into place. You know, I think Ruzi had been there for something like uh, about eight years or something coaching, I think it was. And um, and I guess Horse was uh, moving in. I think he might have, you know, been in discussions for a few other head coaching jobs around that time as well. And I guess the, the, the transition period was the perfect timing for both of them. Um, and I think the 12 months was the perfect timing as well in terms of just allowed, you know, Ruzi, I guess, to, to go out and then Horse to come in and, yeah, everything aligned and, and worked really well, And um, which you sort of look now and you don't see too many of them actually working out as well and seamlessly as it was at Sydney. But I think there's a lot of different pieces that go into that process happening 
that make it make it all made it all work. Well, I guess um, Paul Drew's coaching Melbourne and um, Simon Goodwin, um, someone who you would have played a, a few games with, uh, now coaching uh, Melbourne. I guess depending on how this final series goes, uh, maybe another you could say at least for the short term a good transition. Yeah, and and again, that's probably another one where um, you know Ruzi probably took the job knowing that he was never going to be in for yeah you know, the real long haul. Um, but they were going to yeah you know, that was the and again that's. I think the club have to be clear about it as well. Like this is what's happening and you are here for this. And, you know, Simon Goodwin was the next in charge and he was going to be the man that was going to take him on after that. So I think as long as everyone's, you know, clear and honest and, and there is a process and everyone's understanding about what it looks like and who's doing what and, you know, there is a clear job description and all those things, um, then I think it can be quite a good process. But you can sort of see there haven't, there's been a couple that haven't worked. Um and again, I, you don't know the full details, but it looks like there's a lot of those things aren't happening. There's not clear clarity about who's doing what. And I think there's a few coaches that are leaving that are not really wanting to leave. They still want to be, you know, the head coach for a couple more years, but because of, you know, whoever is, you know, taking over, that they're at that point where they want to be a head coach as well. So there's a lot of things I think factored into those, you know, succession plans that they just don't always work, but, um, you know, I guess at Sydney, we were lucky it did. And that was probably why we were able to then so quickly get back into playing finals. And I'm not saying we weren't playing finals, but get back into being relevant and being you know, up the top of the ladder again. This is just a hot take on my on my side. I'm not sure how you feel about, feel about things, but uh, obviously Hawthorne, um, the transition over from uh, Alistair Clarkson to Sam Mitchell, it seems very reminiscent of uh, Collingwood uh, going from Malthouse to Bucks, and obviously Bucks is now out the door. Um, yeah, I mean, I mean, I, I think that Alistair Clarkson could have gone on maybe for another one or two years. I think I don't know. Um, you know, I'm, again, I'm completely biased on the Swan side. I haven't sort of researched much on the Hawthorne side, but. I thought maybe a few more years as an assistant for Sam Mitchell, but I guess um, next year we'll, I guess we'll, we'll find out, won't we? Yeah, and and again, that's I'm probably along the same lines as you. I don't think either there wasn't that, uh, like I think Molehouse and Clarko probably were thinking they could coach for a couple more years, but I think the club saw that both Buckley and Mitchell were probably ready to be head coaches right now, and so. That's what I was talking about, that timing before. It didn't quite work out for both parties, and I reckon that's why both plans probably didn't work out how the club had foreseen that they thought it was. And, again, you know, whether it could have been a two-year succession plan, I don't know, but then that starts to get a bit messy about, you know, length of time and all those sorts of things. So, yeah, it's, it's a tough one. Um, but if you get it right, like I said, it can be quite – quite good and 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 it, it, it's seamless and also too it can be you know a quick transition being from probably you know you don't really lose you know sometimes go down the ladder whereas I think at Sydney we you know we're able to keep playing finals every year and you know stay relevant which I think helped us you know get to 2012 really quickly after you know horse took over. And I guess uh, in the red and white, uh, your first game against the old uh, the old uh, Adelaide Crows. Was there anything um, you know? Did you have any sort of players giving little uh, little elbows or you know whispering things in your ears? What's it like to come up against your uh, old club? Yeah, it's a, it's a weird one. Um, I guess I can't remember exactly when it was in the year, but I think there'd been a few games, so it wasn't too bad. It wasn't as if it was the first one or two. 
Um, so it was, you know, oh, I was fine, I guess. Um, I didn't really, you know, cop much, I guess, from Adelaide, probably a bit from the supporters. Um, but I guess the other thing part of that was, you know, I guess it was my decision to go in the end. So, you know, there was no real bad blood, I guess, from, you know, the club that hadn't sacked me or they hadn't got rid of me or anything like that. So, um, yeah, I, I, I didn't really cop much. I think a lot of people were... You know, disappointed that I did leave. And, you know, I got a lot of messages from Adelaide fans saying, oh, you know, wish we're here and wish you hadn't gone and all that sort of stuff. So it was quite a amicable, I guess, um, you know, parting of ways and, and heading to Sydney. But, yeah, it wasn't too much uh, from memory. Well, it's funny you mentioned that. I was going to say, you know, did you feel you had something to prove against your old side? But um, you just jogged my memory. Uh, the 2012 uh, campaign, we'll get to the grand final very soon, but I think it was a qualifying final. Sydney was actually uh, having to play. Yeah, yeah, qualifying. Yeah, Adelaide, I think. Is that one? yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. well, I, I just remember on the uh, on the TV that um, a bunch of Adelaide supporters have gone to the airport. So when you guys landed, they could start giving you some curry as soon as you got off the plane. And uh, uh, I remember seeing that and, and I thought to myself, you know, that's, that's pretty ballsy. I, I reckon you guys are going to come out and absolutely give them what for. And I think you end up yeah, basically outplaying the Crows and obviously getting that week off. Yeah, so I, oh, I clearly remember that that sort of like little week or transition, um, you know, coming to Adelaide. So I remember on the flight and, you know, me and Heath Grundy were copping crap about how Adelaide was bad and 20 years old, you know, 20 years ago and they're living in the past and, you know, all this sort of stuff and the one-way freeway in Adelaide and all these sorts of things. So, um, but I remember getting off the plane, I remember clearly, and we were walking down, you know, towards the baggage carousel and, as you come down the escalators down into the baggage carousel down the bottom, um, Triple M had organised a choir and um, supporters and that to be down the bottom and sing the Crows um, song. And so I, I clearly remember, you know, basically walking down and I remember sort of looking at a few boys and it was sort of like this, um, you know, nothing was said, but it was like this, it was like this, everyone was on the same page. And I remember getting on the bus and a few boys going, like, mate, we, you know, you could just, everyone was, everyone was just so galvanised and, you know, we're on the same, you know, wavelength. And it was like, no, no, we're here to do a job. And, you know, don't worry about what else, all the, you know, noise outside. You know, we're here to win and we're here to do a job. And I reckon it probably just spurred a few guys on to say, no, bugger this. Like, you know, we're not, we're not here to make up the numbers. And I think at that stage, you know, no one really rated us because we had to go to Adelaide to win and, um, and you know, and all this stuff we were copping. You know, I remember going out and people saying, oh, you know, you, you can't beat us, you know, here, that you know, you can't beat us in Adelaide and all this sort of stuff. And I remember, you know, the game starting and I remember us, you know, being really good. And as I said, I felt like we were just galvanised and everyone was, you know, probably just a bit of the old stick it up and type thing as well. And, you know, we can prove them wrong and, um, yeah, we played a really good game. I think we ended up winning by about 26 or some points. Um, and it was great. We got the week off um, and then we got the home prelim, which was you know, a huge, um, huge effort and a really big thing, I think, for the club because we went home and um, we were able to get the week off and then get ready for the prelim. It was such a theme, and I think it's always like as a Swan supporter, I kind of love when the Swans aren't given a chance to win with the underdog. I love that for the Swans, and that was very much that 2012 campaign. Obviously, get to the grand final. I think the whole week everyone was talking about, you know, Hawthorne are going to be premiers this, premiers that, or, you know, it was all kind of just an afterthought. 
Um, obviously such a great game, but I guess the lead up, like you got the parade and all that sort of stuff and was recently speaking to Mitch Morton, who um, who he's obviously come out and sort of said oh, he's he sort of suffered crippling anxiety and his experience of that whole week was something, I guess, which could be completely different to any other players that went through that. I mean, what was your experience uh, that whole week leading into the 2012 grand final? Yeah, it was it was great. Like, I, I guess as a kid, I'd always dreamt about, you know, I'd been to a grand final, but, I'd, you know, I'd always dreamt as a kid about playing in one. And and I guess I was at a different period of my career. Like 2012, I was 30, yeah, 30. So I sort of knew this was probably my – I played in two, two prelims at, at Adelaide and we hadn't quite been good enough to, to get there. And we played in finals at Sydney and Adelaide and, you know, we'd sort of semifinals and prelims and – you know, qualifying finals and that sort of stuff. And so I thought this is, you know, this is, this is my one chance. I think, yeah, this is the one. Um, and I remember leading into the week on the Monday and a couple of the players who'd stood, uh, played in 2005 and 2006, like Goodsy and Malcheski and a few others had stood up and they sort of chatted about the week. And um, I remember the club, it was, it was, you know, it was a well-oiled machine. Like they got up Monday and they said, this is, this is the week we're doing this, 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 and this. We're going to travel then. And, um, you know, the parades on here and, um, you know, tickets at this. And so they did that all on the Monday. And I remember sort of thinking, why would they be doing this on the Monday? And I sort of, but it wasn't probably till Wednesday that I went, okay, now I understand because that was all done. That was all dealt by, by Monday and Tuesday. And then we could just concentrate on footy later in the week. And I uh, also remember uh, a couple of players chatting about like embrace the week. So they talked about, you know, anything you can't control, embrace it. Say so, like, you know, we can't control the, the, the parade and how many people rock up to training and, you know, who comes to watch us train, all those sort of things, but embrace it. Um, and then the things you can control, like your preparation and training and those things, you know, make sure they're, they're routines. Like, that's how you train. We train that way. So that sort of stuff at the start of the week was quite interesting because that was probably the best thing for me. And so, um, and then I guess, yeah, going down to Melbourne and, and being involved in, and, you know, the treatments, you know, different. It, it is grand final week. So I remember, you know, like, you know, the police escorts and the buses, wherever you go, and, you know, you get sort of ushered off the planes and straight on the buses and all that sort of stuff. So, and then, yeah, the, the parade is the great one. And, um, yeah, loved it, enjoyed it. Um, from memory, I don't think the weather was great. Um, it was, you know, a bit cold and stuff. And so, but again, it was just, you know, something I'd never done. And, and um, yeah, loved it, enjoyed it, um, embraced it, um, as I said. And, um, yeah, and ended up, you know, being probably, I think I played another seven games after the grand final. So it was, you know, as I said, it was towards the end of my career. So I was sort of, I thought this is it, this is the one that I'll get to go and uh, made the most of it. Game day, obviously, I think, uh, don't have to look back at the game, I think, you know, it was very seesaw. I mean, I think Hawthorne got off to a bit of a lead, Swans come back and it was just yeah. such a tight and tough game and final quarter, that tackle, um, Grant Virtual. But first of all, what were you doing so far up forward? Well, I'd actually thought that I could have kicked the goal, yeah. but... Uh, <laughs> I sort of remember the play sort of unfolding and I remember, um, you know, sort of, sort of hold, he was in a corridor and the ball was sort of going down the, the grand or the member side wing and sort of had control of the ball. And we sort of looked like we were going to go inside 50, you know, so I sort of 
in the middle of the ground at that stage. And I think Lewis Jetta from memory was just in front of me. Um, and uh, I think it was Ryan O'Keefe had the ball and we sort of, you know, he had it, had it, had it. And then he kicked it into Lewis. And I, but I'm pretty, like, I thought I was on in the middle of the ground and we could have gone to me and then we could have gone over the top or, you know, held onto the ball. And, and then I sort of remember that. And, but I remember I, I sort of knew that if, we didn't get hold of that ball that was probably going to go straight down the other end. And so I guess at that time, ball went in, got turned over. And then I thought, geez, I've got to get out there and make that tackle and get that ball and keep it in sort of our forward half. And yeah, I guess it was one of those things, you know, people say, oh, you know, it's the greatest tackle. But I guess from my point of view, I was just, that was my role. That was what I needed to do on the day. And, you know, we had plenty of those guys do those things throughout the day. I guess mine just happened to be at the end of the game that, had a little bit of an influence on the game, but everyone else's did as well. It's just mine was at the end. And I guess everyone sees that, you know, they go, oh, that, that was a point. But, you know, Dan Hanabry's, I think, contest in the early on in the game where he went back with a flight and took a mark. And, you know, there's even like Shane Mumford playing on, you know, with, you know, with an injury and then Don, uh, Mike Pike um, rucking the whole last quarter. And, you know, Ted Rich is on buddy and, you know, Adam Goods, and they, you know, all these guys did their thing they needed to do on the day, um, which is, I guess, the reason why we were able to win. And uh, the Malchowski goal, one of the best goals yeah. in the grand final goals, history. Yeah. <laughs> uh, everybody, he was running away from everyone and everyone was running up to him. I think I heard in a previous interview, were you one of the guys that had to tell everyone to get back into position? Yeah, well, we were sort of, there was myself, Shaw and, um, Teddy Richards and Nick Smith, we were sort of like um, at that point, we were sort of like, no, no we got to, you know, everyone was celebrating, which we were sort of celebrating, but it was short lived. But then we were like, but that, and that was the thing, that was we were all, we were on the same page. So I remember a couple of us, like one person said something, and then everyone within 30 seconds, everyone knew what we needed to do to get after that center bounce to then, you know, hold on to that lead. And, um, and that was just, you know, we were, everyone played their role. Everyone knew what we needed to do. And that was the great thing about the club at that time. Didn't matter who you were, you knew your role. You knew what the process was and how we needed to finish that last, whatever it was, 30, 40 seconds or whatever. And, um, yeah, that's what makes good, great teams, I think, is everyone, you know, you can celebrate, but then so quickly we flick the switch back onto game mode and, and, and that winning mode. Siren goes, you're a premiership player. I guess what's going through the mind and who's the first person that you crash tackle? Uh, from memory, uh, I reckon it was Nick Malcheski, I reckon, or Jared McVeigh, a couple of those boys. Um, and then it's sort of one of those things, everyone just sort of congregates together. And, um, yeah, it was, again, it's, you know, it's, it's uh, there's little flickering memories about the whole after game. Um, but, again, it's one of those things, it's just sort of a bit of a blur, but, um, really enjoyable, I guess. And like I said, it was, I knew it was sort of toward the end of my career. So, um, you know, I really, again, embraced the whole night, day, um, week <laughs> afterwards. But, um, yeah, just just made the most of it and, and really enjoyed it. And like I said, it was, um, yeah, it was one of the, and I guess the hard work that you, when you do do it, it's a hard work from, you know, I think it was mid-November when you start pre-season all the way through sort of that, and even, you know, as a footy player, you go back to the start of your career and all the hard work you put in to probably get that one result um, is, you know, is, a, is a great achievement, I think, for, for all footballers. It doesn't matter who you are. I think celebrations got uh, pretty crazy. You almost went uh, back to the hotel on a paddy wagon. 
Yeah, that's a that's a very interesting story, that one. Um, yeah, so we were – I remember we, we had a function after the game and then, as always, we'd go out as the group and we were at a nightclub, I think, just across the Riara from where we were staying. And so there was – I remember I remember clearly – this is this is one thing I do remember clearly was there was McDonald's across the road. So got me McDonald's and was walking home. And on the walk home, I think it was about, you know, six or seven in the morning or whatever. And uh, just – it was only about a 200-metre walk and – got about halfway home across basically opposite the casino going near the arrow there. And um, this police paddy wagon pulls over and there was two policemen in the car and they're like, Hey, you going, mate. And they're like, what are you doing? I said, oh, I'm just going back to my hotel. And they're like, cause we were in the full um, jumpers and shirts and medals and everything. And they're like, Oh, Hey, you going, mate. Like, they're like, Oh, who, do you play? And I was like, yeah. yeah. And like, so I had sat and had a chat to them. And, I don't know, about five minutes or whatever. And, um, and uh, they were saying, yeah, congratulations, well done. You know, like, what's going on? So, oh, you know, I'm heading back to the hotel room. And they're like, oh, do you want a lift? And I'm like, and I looked and it was like one of those, you know, utes with the two seats at the front and then a paddy wagon at the back. And there was two of the blokes in the front. I'm sitting there going like, how's this going to work? Like, where am I going in this whole scheme of things? And I was like, no, no, boys, it's all right. I've just got about a 100-meter walk to go. And I thought it might not look good if I rock up at the front of the hotel and jump out in the back of the paddy wagon. But, um, yeah, it was, it, was a, it was a very very uh, intriguing and interesting uh, conversation with the policeman. I was like, where am I going to sit in this whole scheme? Like, am I going in the front or the back? So it was a funny story. Now, uh, you contemplated retirement. I think you spoke to some mates saying that you might call, call it a day. Um, I think they talked you out of it. Uh, it was, yeah, I guess it's one of those things that, you know, I think it was four in the morning and I was sitting and I was like, nah, I'm one, one, I'm, I'm done. Oh, my body was, I was at the point where, you know, my body was to the point where yeah, I was in a lot of trouble, um, you know, even to the back end of 2012, um, you know, really struggling each week to fully train and, and all those sorts of things and, and play at the highest level. And I remember game day, um, it was quite an interesting thing. You know, my wife, I think at that stage was about 30 weeks pregnant with our first child. And so, um, so I remember game day, she actually did my shoelaces up and I did her shoelaces up and put our shoes on because we both couldn't do it. So it was just one of those things, I guess, as a footy player, you, you go through and, um, you know, and then, as I said, yeah, I think it was one of those states I was in late Sunday morning that I thought, ah, oh, this, you know, I was sitting back and I was pretty pretty happy and content with my life and my career and footy and stuff. And I thought, oh, I'll just give it away. And and then a couple of my mates were like, but what happens if you go next year and you win again? And I was like, oh, I never thought about that. And so I was <laughs> like, well, you know, I was like, well, and, you, and they said, you, you know, you got a year to go and you got nothing to lose. And I was like, yeah, okay, we'll, we'll go again. And so... I went again and, um, yeah, probably halfway through pre-season, I sort of realised that that was going to be my last year. Um, and then, you know, it probably just happened quicker um, through injury and not being able, I guess, for me to compete and and play at the highest level in the way that I wanted to do it. Um, yeah, it just happened to be that. And then I got an injury and then, yeah, it just went downhill real quickly from there. 
Interesting stats. Um, I think your first few games with Adelaide, you managed seven. Uh, your last season, you also managed seven with a five-win, two-loss record. I'm just a weird numbers guy like that. So wow. your first, the first, yeah, yeah, first seven games for Adelaide, uh, and then your last seven games uh, for other Swans. So, yeah, weird with numbers like that. I guess you can do anything with numbers, but wasn't sure if you were aware of that. No, I didn't know that. Um, no, that's an interesting one. I've I'd never really thought about that, but yeah, seven. I think I played yeah seven in both, so it's it's a good stat. And then two twenty two. That's the other one. Like everyone says, oh, how many players? Two two two. That's a pretty two, easy two, one two. as well. So yeah, so that's an yeah. And 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 I was a medical sub in my last game as well. So there's another one. There's another little fact for you. So which is not, I think, something that I really want to be known as. But um, <laughs> yes, um, subbed off in my last game with injury. So yeah, not the ideal way I wanted to go out, but. It is what it is, and yeah, very thankful for I guess the rest of the career. So you did go on to be an assistant coach there with the Swans, and uh, watched that dreadful 2014 uh, grand final uh, against uh, the Hawks. Who did a real good number on us, um, but you would eventually uh, make your way back to uh, to Adelaide. That was the coach Sturt for the first time round, correct? Yeah, um, and I guess that was you know when I retired in mid thirteen that I was able to then help some of the younger guys. Um, some of the young defenders and really enjoyed it and loved it. And, and then, yeah, I was able to then, you know, Jared Crouch was the reserves coach at the Swans then. And I was able to sort of travel a little bit with that group and, um, you know, help out and be an assistant and do a bit of game day coaching and stuff and, 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 and loved it and enjoyed it. And sort of, I guess, started to see that there was an avenue in coaching there in 13. Um, when I was injured, I was spending a lot of time, you know, I'd train really early and then go and watch the boys train and, and help out a little bit. So, um, yeah, I guess that transition sort of started probably 2013 and then went through. And then, yeah, was lucky enough to coach for a couple of years at Sydney, um, learn a lot um, and, and really enjoyed it. And then I guess as a, a family, like my son was about two and a half at that stage and we were talking about having another child and, you know, we just, you know, I guess um, family, we had no family in Sydney, had a few friends and stuff, but, um, you know, we, had, we were in a two-bedroom um, semi and those sorts of things, you know, not much of a big backyard and all those sort of things. And I guess it was just a time in our lives where we thought it was the transition back to Adelaide was the best thing for us. And and then, yeah, it was lucky enough to get the job at Sturt, you know, in 16. And, um, you know, everything sort of fell into place. They were looking at a full-time job. Um, they'd gone from being a part-time coach to, you know, to being a full-time a role. Um and, yeah, and I guess at that time I felt like it was, um, you know, it'd be a good thing for us and, and me as a coach and coach my own team um, and something that I I guess, you know, you talk about coaching progressions and stuff and some coaches, you know, say, oh, you should coach your own team and others say, oh, no, if you're an assistant, you can stay doing that. You just need to keep changing and evolving and doing those things. And, um, yeah, so got the job at Sturt and it probably ended up being the best thing for me. Is it an ambition uh, to be an AFL coach or back as an assistant? Is that uh, is that in the pipeline or would you like to see that? Uh, it was in 16, 17. Like I sort of had this, you know, still this, I guess, itch to scratch and this thing that, you know, I still wanted to, I guess, tick another box about getting back into the AFL system. Um, and, you know, 16, 17, 18, uh, will, you know, I guess, Everything worked. Um, you know, we won a couple of premierships and um, as a coach and we had a really good club, board, team, culture, everything as well. And, um, yeah, I guess I was lucky enough. And 
I said, there was all those, that, that, I guess, that question. I wanted to get back in there and, and sort of, you know, have another crack at it. And um, and I guess at that time, 2000 and uh, end of 18, um, spoke to Adelaide. And, yeah, I was lucky enough, I guess, to get an opportunity to go back there, um, which is something that I really wanted to do and, and I guess, um, you know, pursue. And, but now, um, uh, not really. I'm really enjoying being back at Sturt. Um, you know, in terms of uh, lifestyle and work life, it, it fits really well with our family. Um, you know, two young boys or 10, uh, sorry, nine and um, five. And so we're sort of at that time now where, you know, I can, you know, I get mornings to go and watch them play their sport. Um, I drop them off in the mornings and then my wife, you know, picks them up. And, you know, we feel like we have a pretty good balance in terms of our life and, and work and, and family. And it works really well for us. And, Something I probably wasn't able to do in the AFL system as much with travel and you know, work and commitments and stuff like that. Um, so, yeah, so currently right now I'm really enjoying Sturt and um, can't really see myself, you know, getting back into the AFL system anytime soon. Um, but I'll never say never. So I'll just chat to Caro Wilson and say Marty Matna is no chance for <laughs> Collingwood or Carlton. Um, before we do wrap up, Marty, um, I was talking to Paul Bevan uh, last year and he says that uh, all the former Swans uh, guys, you guys have, have a WhatsApp group. And I want to yep. ask who talks the biggest smack on WhatsApp? Oh, that's, that's a tough one. Um Talk the biggest smack. Because I have two. I, I think I'm trying to remember the two that Paul told me. I want to see if you if you will say them as well. Yeah, well, I reckon Dan Hanbury doesn't. We talked a bit on there, but he cops the most on there probably. <laughs> um, a lot of the talk and discussions are about his whether he's done something or you know someone throws a photo from you know 2012 or whatever of him, and you know, and then there's a threads of hundred comments about something. Um, Dude, Bolton's a bit of a – he's a bit of a sly one. He throws a few comments and a few grenades in every now and then and yep. blows things up. And He was he was um, one that Paul Bevan mentioned. Yeah, I was going to say Jude probably won. And then Jared McVay is always good. He doesn't make many, but when he does, they are very, very good. So I would say Jared's the other one. He, like I said, not many comments. He picks and chooses, but when he does, they're, they're very funny or, um, you know, it's uh, well-timed. Uh, Marty, I appreciate you taking the time to speak with us. Uh, wish you all the best with Sturt. I uh, hope you guys make the finals. Um, loved you. watching you play. Uh, that 2012 uh, grand final tackle, that's uh, going to live in Swan, Swan's folklore for uh, centuries to come. Uh, Marty Matner, thank you for speaking with Bloods of Old. Thank you very much. Thank you very much.